0: This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. Hey I don't know about you, but I like, I like to go in the throne room and hang out. As you know, uh, whether, whether it's here with a congregation listening, whether it's at home in my prayer closet, when I close my eyes, I get with God. Yeah, what I, I get with Him I look away from all the ugliness that there is on the earth today, and I recognize, in spite of all the different things that human leaders can try to do, that good people can try to do, that we're in a spiritual warfare. And the spiritual warfare, the only thing that's going to get people to have peace is to know the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And when you get the leaders of nations, or the leaders of political parties, our leaders of anything else to come to a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, their perspective changes. And when their perspective changes, what they talk about changes. And then when they begin to talk about the right things, which are the things of God and about the Lord Jesus Christ, then their followers begin to change their thinking. And when they change their thinking, then cities begin to change. Nations begin to change. And so I know that if you're like me, you can't help but see all the things going on all around us today. And if we let the news be our source of information, we're going to be deceived. We're going to be moved off of the gospel. And and the gospel is the truth of God. The gospel means good news. And there's not a lot of good news out there, so praise God we can come to church. And if you go to a Bible-believing church where they teach the Bible, you're going to hear good news. If you go to a church where they talk politics and divisions and wars, then you're not going to be getting good news at church even. And so today... We purpose to preach good news from the Bible that will help you. And I know this something years ago when I was a baby pastor back in Indiana in the early 90s. The Lord spoke something in my heart one day, which I know still holds true. Our job as a church is to change, change the world one person at a time. And that person starts with me individually. I've got to work on me. You've got to work on you. And if we change, if we change this church one person at a time, then we're going to be changing your family because the church is made up of families. And so as the families in a church change to be more like Jesus, then they can change a city because a city is made up of persons and families. And so as a city begins to change one person at a time, one family at a time, then the church changes. And then the city changes. But then the cities are in counties. And so as the cities begin to change, because of the gospel, one person at a time, one family at a time, one city at a time, then the counties are in the state. And so then as the as the church, as the city, as the county, as the states begin to change, then the states are in the United States. And so the United States begin to change. And so we know that of all the things going on, I was telling Mrs. Pastor yesterday, That the older I get, the more that I don't have problems with other ministers that don't preach like I think they ought to preach or teach what I think they ought to teach. Because the thing is, as we get older, we realize that people, the body of Christ, and I've always got along for the preacher, they never had a problem. But the thing is, if they're preaching Jesus, we're brothers and sisters, no matter who they are or where they are. At the body of Christ can just get over some of the... I mean, if somebody's preaching stuff that's obviously real wrong, that's going to send people the other direction. If they're not preaching Jesus the Savior, then they're not a real Christian church anyway. But as long as churches are preaching Jesus, we need to get along. And if churches get along, and the people in the churches can see that churches get along, they'll start spreading like wildfire across the city. Amen. And then that starts spreading across the state. And, you know, for all the different, you stop to think about this, Jesus, man, I, where's this coming from? It's coming. But Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 12, any city, any nation, any family divided can't stand. And our country is called the United States. We started off in unity Just like the book of Acts in America, we start off with one purpose of one mind in America because a lot of America back when our founding fathers founded was based upon the Bible. The pastors, this is not even planned for anything. It's just coming out. But we're heading to a purpose with the lesson we're going to teach today. The founding fathers in our school systems, the schools when this nation started were the churches. And the principals of the schools were pastors of the community. And the main textbook in the schools was the Holy Bible. And then our books came off of that. And so we were the United States because the problems in communities were settled by the pastors, the churches, and the Christians. And the Bible was what they looked at for their standard in the Constitution. Well, over the years, we've allowed division to come into our nation because churches got divided one from another. That's Satan's tactic is divide and conquer. So we as Christians, when we've come together like this, we need to look at the Bible, what the Bible has to say, then during the course of the week, if we see the bad news coming on the television and they're showing all the opposite of what the Bible says, we say, wait a minute, that doesn't agree with the Bible. I'm going to go with the Bible. And years ago, I heard a pastor say something that's always stuck with me. I'm going to do right if nobody else does. I'm going to answer to God for my life, not for all the other preachers, the other politicians, the other people. I'm going to answer for me. And so when I know the Bible says a way to live and a way to do things, I'm going to do it. James 4 17 says, therefore in the north do good and doeth not to him as sin. And so I'm just telling you body of Christ, you all have lots of families and friends and people that don't know the Bible. And so when you're hearing wrong things out there about our nation, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the devil trying to destroy my nation. I've got children. I've got grandchildren. They're going to be here a long time after I'm gone. I want them to have what I had back in the 50s and 60s, not with the bad stuff started coming in, but the good stuff when America still believed in Jesus. That's so what anyway, I'm just telling you right now. As we're here this morning, we're not just here in church to feel good, which when the gospel comes forth, you do feel good, unless you're doing wrong, you get convicted, and you feel bad, which that's good. Because if you yield to the convictions, you can change and do better. But we're here today to get something to help us be a better person. And then not just to be a better person, to be willing during the course of the week when conversations come about anything in life. If you don't agree with it, don't sit there and shake your head like you do. Just be able to speak up and just say, hey, wait a minute. You know, I used to believe that way, but I found out different. Here's how I believe now. And then you don't fight about it. But let people know, you know what, that's okay, you can believe how you want to, but I'm a follower of Jesus, and this is what Jesus says, this is how I'm going to live. Amen? Amen. That's free. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. Amen. And you know, Jesus loves America. He loves every nation. But a nation that lifts up the name of Jesus is a nation that's going to last long and stay strong and do good. And... I, I, I'm ready to see some things start changing again. Amen. I want to see some things get on another road. And so you notice that your uh, lesson is called how to know and follow God's plan for your life. And if you need an outline, a sermon outline, hold up your hand. If you didn't get a sermon outline, hold up your hands. And have one of the ushers give you an outline. But how to know and follow. How to know and follow God's plan for your life. And... You know, I was thinking this morning when I was praying about what we're going to be talking about today, how so many people, how so many people hear things like this, but it doesn't come to pass in their life. And then they want to blame God, or blame somebody else, except look at themselves. I was, I was praying early this morning, I was thinking about my life. I was thinking, I got born again on January 29th, 1980, and I was looking at scriptures today, and when I saw scriptures, I was seeing them fresh again, because I want to stay fresh with God. I want to stay totally open and teachable. And I was thinking as I looked at those different scriptures, the condition of America in 1980, that's the year that President Reagan got elected. I was looking at those, I was looking at those scriptures I first heard as a new Christian, and I thought, wow, these hasn't changed. I've changed. The world's changed. America's definitely changed. They're going to change back again for the better. But I was thinking about those scriptures. I think about different other scriptures I do. In Malachi chapter 3, God said, I'm God. I change not. I was looking at another verse this morning where it says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The word of the Lord endures forever. And I was thinking about Hebrews thirteen eight. Christ is Christ the same yesterday and today and forever? You're getting, you're getting into my prayer closet now, but I'm going to just preach out my prayer closet for a minute. Then I was looking at James chapter 1, and, Je- and James said that if you lack wisdom, ask of God. And he gives to all men liberally and upbraids not. He said his wisdom. God's wisdom is God's plan. Amen. And then, In that passage in James chapter 1, a little bit further along, he said, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Well, years ago, when I was going through a time of trying to see what God had me to do next, I spent a lot of time in that verse there. And one day, it jumped off at me. If a double-minded man is unstable, then a single-minded man is stable. A single-minded man. Let me me give you a good example of a double-minded man. There's people sitting here today that have said, I'm going to start going to church all the time. It's going to change my life. Until next week, something better comes up. And then they forgot about what they said this week. And then the next time the crisis hits, I'm getting back in church. We need to go to church. Come on, family. We're getting in church. That's where we're going. Crisis ends. And where are they? They're double-minded. Amen. Amen. That's double-minded. Is Tell you what, we're going to start saving money for this. We're going to not spend it over here. Spend it over here. We're not going to eat out like we was. We are saving money, and this family is going to have the money to do what it's supposed to do. Until the phone call comes. Hey, guys, we're all going to meet down at Del Taco Well, the little bit of $10 you had to save, you was double-minded. And then the time comes, you didn't have it, wonder what happened, because you was double-minded. Single-minded says, well, I would love to go, but I can't because I saved my money for a car. We're saving our money to gather this ghetto. We're going to get a neighborhood. But Del Taco took your real neighborhood money. Anyway, as I was meditating upon that word a few years ago about single-minded, about a single-minded, stable, all of his ways. About three weeks after I got that revelation, I saw this then. The only way to be single-minded is to be word-minded. Because the only thing that doesn't change in life is the Word of God. The Word of God. And so I realized then that the decision I had to make in life at that time, if I was going to be single-minded and be stable, I had to get specific scriptures from the Word of God that told me what to do about the decision I had to make that way every week when I was trying to see what to do I' go back to those verses I speak those verses out loud and I stayed single-minded I wasn't double-minded anymore the word of God says this it doesn't change God doesn't change so if somebody's going to change and he's not it's got to be me. And my change has got to start in my heart, but my heart listens to my head until my heart gets stronger and then my heart tells my head what to think. I want to say that again because you've got to get this. My heart is supposed to tell my head what to do, but my head is stronger than my heart and what it believes Then my head tells my heart how to fill, what to do. But as you fill your heart with specific scriptures about decisions you're making, then when double-minded tries to come, a single-minded heart speaks to the head. It says, no, wait a minute. The Word of God says, by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. So by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed. Or the Word of God says, let your mouth be filled with praise. So I'm going to praise and not complain. And your head says, whine, murmur, complain. It's Dennis's fault. <laughs> and you say, no, 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 no. Dennis is a good guy. I love Dennis. It's not Dennis' fault. I'm going to praise God. See what happens. The devil tries to tell you it's your boss's fault. The devil tries to tell the boss it's your fault. But when out, all reality it's the devil's fault. And so we get our mouths filled with praise, you're becoming single minded then, because in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's first Thessalonians five sixteen. But we need to know that we need to be people that become single minded. And once you begin to get that word working in your heart and in your mouth, all of a sudden the wishy washy, the double minded, the yo yo faith. What's yo-yo faith? Well, one day you're up on the mountain. The next day you're down in the valley. You're up and down and up and down and up and down. And when your fellow Christians see you, they never know if you're going to cuss them or if you're going to preach Jesus. You mean Christians would do that? Have you ever read DeFacebook? DeFace? In Facebook, how many here have ever seen Christians... That you never know if today they're going to be talking about sex and cussing and dirty things. And tomorrow they're going to put on 15 different pictures there about Jesus and love of the Lord. That's double-minded. One day up, one day down. But you become single-minded when you become word-minded. Amen? And so the Lord's going to help you today to become single-minded in the plan of God for your life. And here's an awesome book called How You Can Be Led by the Spirit of God. How You Can Be Led by the Spirit of God that's from Romans chapter 8, verse 14, that says we, as sons and daughters of God, are supposed to be led by the Spirit of God. Uh, that, that book's really old, got a new cover on it. But I, I found this book probably 35 years ago, studied this and studied this for a season with my Bible open. And it taught me how to be led by the Spirit of God and not by my feelings. Not by my feelings. Do you know there's a whole lot of Christians in Barstow today that are led by their feelings? They don't feel like going to church today, say so they don't. You know, there's a lot of Christians today in Barstow, they're in church today. Their feelings said, I don't feel like it. But they said, "Feelings, you're not leading me. God leads me. I'm going to church. That's Amen. And so you need to be led by the Spirit of God, not by how you feel. Now, I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And this is our theme verse for the year 2017. Uh, Every year back towards the end of the year, the last, oh, starting about September, October, I start praying and talking to the Lord about the next year, about theme for our church, theme verse, something that he wants us to just really major on for the year. And he gave me this last fall for the year 2017. But Jeremiah 29, verse 11, and I'm going to read verse 11 out of the NIV. And if you fill the blanks, you'll be seeing as we go through this some different things that he put in there to help you uh, have something to take home with you. But Jeremiah twenty nine, verse eleven says this This is God talking to me, this is God talking to you, if you belong to God. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. My plans are to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. How many Wanna have hope and a future in your life. How many want to prosper and not be hurt all the time, kicked around all the time, depressed all the time, all the time feeling like nothing ever goes right for me. If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Murphy's Law works in my life, nothing ever goes right for me. If it's not broke, it will broke, it will break. If I got a new account, I'll have to spend it next week. The warranty on that washer and dryer is going out, so it'll break down next week. Well, I'll tell you what, that car, that car, that car warranty is about to end out. It's going to end next week. You know what's going to happen to my car next week? You know, people think that way and live that way and expect that way and believe that way because they do, they get it that way. But it's not God's plan. God said, my plans are for good for you. I was thinking about this this morning about people trying to figure out, well, if that's so, then why is that working my life? Get a picture of this. This, this may be you as the parent or maybe you as a child that, you know, you may be an adult now, but you know, a lot of times parents save from the time their kids are born for college. They start putting money back. They save for years and years and years and years. Those parents have a good plan for their child. Their plans are for their child go to a good college, get a good education, and get set up in a position to win in life. That's the parent's plan. But then, if most of you are like most of us that are older were, you didn't follow that plan when you got to be a teenager. You decided, that you know, I think about goofy California, goofy America, you decided you are going to smoke some weed. You decided you are going to do some things that you knew were wrong, that messed with your body, that messed with your head, that messed with your life, and used to be against the law. And so you got in trouble. You either ended up going to jail for something, or you ended up getting things on your record that disqualified you for following the plan that your parents had for you for all those years. And so then, a lot of people today, because of the way that society has programmed things, you blame dad and mom because your life didn't turn out right. That wasn't dad and mom's plan. Dad and mom, for years and years and years and years, denied themselves. They saved money. They set you up. They warned you about wrong friendships. They warned you about wrong relationships. They warned you about not abusing your body and things, but you decided you wanted to go your way and do your thing, and so you made a mess out of your life, but it wasn't Dad and Mom's plan. Okay, take it back to the spiritual now. God, through the Bible, through preachers, shows us what to do to follow the plan. God shows us things we're supposed to say no to, God shows us what to say yes to. God shows us what to do, how to make right decisions. And by the way, that decisions is one of the most important words in your whole life. Because your decisions determine your future. And the decision you make today is going to prompt a series of decisions this week. At least one of those decisions and choices you have is going to determine what's going to happen next week. And so God, through the Bible, shows us the plan. And the plan's worth nothing if you don't follow the plan. God has prepared, from the time you were conceived, a good plan for your future. And so the thing I want to do today is show you how to know the plan. And then believe in the name of Jesus, you're going to have enough determination within yourself that you're going to just say no to things you used to do and say yes to the right thing, that today could be the biggest turning point your life has ever seen. You know, let me say it this way. As long as you're still breathing, your life can change. The blood of Jesus could take care of past mistakes. But Jesus said to different people in the Gospels when he healed of the things happened, He said, go and sin no more. In other words, take a 180 degree turnaround with your life, start heading the opposite direction. And like I said a second ago, your parents warn you sometimes about relationships. Don't hang out with those guys. Don't run around with those girls. They've got a bad reputation. Things going on there. And if you hang around with them, you're going to get in trouble. And so, as Christians, as adults, we've got to know there's some people, even in your realm of influence, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, they're up to no good. They're going to say things that's going to sway you. They're going to say things that's going to influence you to do wrong. And so you have to make choices about who you're going to hang out with. You've got to make choices. You've got to make choices about what you put in your body. And let me say this. As we get stronger in the Lord, we can be around people that don't make right choices and so we can influence them. But until we're strong enough to say no, you gotta stay away from them. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm preaching real good. Okay. And so for your blanks, God has a good plan for your life. Say that out loud. Say, God has a good plan. For my life. Say that one more time. Say, God, God has a good plan a good for my life. life. And I'm going to know it. I'm going to follow it. All right. Two ways to know the plan of God for your life. Number one, if you're a Christian, the most obvious way is the Bible. The Bible is the first step for finding God's plan for your life. And so the Bible... Give specific outlines and guidance for moral conduct for all humanity and how to get to heaven. The Bible will teach you about sex. What say that again? The Bible will teach you about sex. I like what my son Josh says. This this guy is awesome. thing he'll step on your toes. But you know what Josh says about sex? Sex is the only sin in the Bible. That's a sin that could change in one sentence. You get in front of a man or woman of God, representing God, you say marriage vows, say, I do. And when that ring gets put on that finger, and those vows are made in the sight of Almighty God, one night sex is a sin, the next night God's in the bedroom blessing it. I want to say that again. You need to know that. One night, sex is a sin in the eyes of God. The next night, God's in the bedroom and says, I'm going to make this better than you've ever seen it. Amen. See, that's the plan of God for men and women. It's in the Bible, and that's part of what we call the general plan. God has a general plan. It's an outline that goes for everybody everywhere. The Bible has the outline what to do with your money. God said in Malachi chapter 3... You bring me 10% out of your 100% of increase, and I'll bless your 90% that's left. But God said, if you keep my tithe, then your 100% has a curse on it. What's that again? God said he wants you to work and prosper. But like that good verse that Pastor Dave showed out of Second Chronicles a while ago, that everything comes from God. You know, I, I look at all the different prosperous people, business people, other people, of this church here, and you lose your health, it makes no difference how much money you can make. If you don't have the health to get there and make it, it's worth nothing. And God said when he blesses that 90%, he rebukes the devourer for your sake. Your company or your job goes out of business. It doesn't make any difference how good you were last year. If you lose your client base this year, you have no money. But God said, I rebuke the devourer for your sake. And so I want to say it again. That's the outline for mankind that God gave for money. God said, 10% gets my blessing on you. He said, you robbed me of my 10% and I can't bless you like I want to. See, that's the outline. That's the general outline for the body of Christ. But really for mankind, God once says, to know what the Bible says... In the everyday business life, how to live. But then number two, number two, and how to know the plan of God for your life is to pray. Is to pray. And I want to look at verse 12 and 13 of Jeremiah 29. Number two, you got to be a person of prayer. He says this. In verse 11, he wants you to have a hope and a future and a good plan. Then verse 12 says, Then shall you call upon me. That means you pray. And you shall go and pray unto me. And I will hearken or I will listen to you. God says to know the plan, you got to go and pray. And you shall seek me and find me when you fit me into your busy 21st century schedule. You shall find me when you get done with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and news at goofy video games. And mobile apps. And when you when you finally, at 10 minutes past midnight, lay your phone down, you can say, thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful day. Amen. (laughs) Now, I'm telling you what, in the 21st century, modern technology is awesome. It's wonderful, but it also, it's a killer for spirituality. It says, you shall seek me and find me. You shall seek me and find me. You shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. With all your heart. So what God is saying is this. If you really want to know the plan of God for your life, you might have to do what lots of times, but I want to do more times, have the discipline to do. I've got one room that's my study room at home. And. What, what I, what I've learned to do when I discipline myself is to take my cell phone, put it on silent, and leave it in my bedroom on my dresser and go to my other room. Cause I found out, even if I put it on silent and I go to my study room, I hear it vibrating. When I hear it vibrating, I get distracted, I go back, and next thing I know, <laughs> lost it. And so we, if we're gonna be serious about seeking God, about His plan, His purpose, we have to find sometimes that we get unhooked from the goofy distractions of modern technology. Amen? And other things, too, of course. But anyway, and then he says in verse 14, Because you sought me with all your heart, I will be found of you, saith Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. I will turn away your captivity. I will turn away... Your captivity. Well, what's captivity? It's different things to different people, but I'll tell you the number one thing, and I know God wants to say to all of you today your captivity is anything that's still in your. If you don't have peace in the financial world right now, then you're a captive. If you don't have peace in your personal relationships, whether it's a marriage, our relationship with co-workers, relationship with friends, neighbors, etc., then you're captive. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He wants you to have peace. If you don't have peace about your health, about somebody you love, then you're a captive right now to things that you shouldn't be captive to. Captive means you're in bondage. Somebody has you shackled up. Ever going to see things in the Word of God to help us? Have that peace today. God said He's got a good plan, and if God has a good plan, it's a good plan. But to follow the plan of God, it takes some sacrifice sometimes on our part, and that sacrifice is this: you have to shut some things off and pray with your Bible open. You have to say no to some things. Yet, you know, there's a say we used to say, which applies. You have to say no to the good so you can say yes to the God. There's good things that aren't God things. You know, there's a lot of things in our life that aren't sin, but they're time stealers. Because they're time stealers, they steal the time we can have to get the peace for the only one that can give us peace. So sometimes we have to say no to the good so we say yes to God. And let me, let me give you an example. You know, I've been around a while, so I've seen some things and learned some things by experience. I've watched other people's lives get goofed up. Have you ever noticed sometimes, and you might be one of these people that just smile and just say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, nobody know that He's talking to you. Church is coming on Sunday, and you're an erratic church attender. Or you're the serious church attender, and you've got friends that are erratic church means that it's not really their high priority, but sometimes they go. Well, how many days are there in a week? Seven. Okay. What day follows Saturday? Sunday. So, what happens Sunday morning for serious Christians? Church. Church. Okay. And so, how many nights of the week can Christians fellowship? Seven nights a week if they want to. Then how come, how come, when you need to hear God the most... Eight, nine o'clock at night, somebody shows up at your door. They got a pizza in their hand. Or a sack of Del Tacos. And they show up and say, Hey man, let's fellowship. And you're thinking, I have had a really tough week. I really got fried this week. I feel like my brain's gonna blow up. I had family trouble. I had job trouble. Kid trouble, or I bet having symptoms in my body. I got to get out of the door to the church. I'm going to bed early. It's eight o'clock. By nine o'clock, I'm going to be in bed tonight. Here comes somebody. Hey, man, let's fellowship. You got a choice right there. You know, with fellowship with them means one o'clock in the morning for you finally able to get them out the door. And you know, when one o'clock in the morning comes, you've had to get up early all week anyway. And so this is the one night you'll be able to go to bed early so you can easily get up early to make your body get up and go to church so you can hear from God, so you can be blessed. And so you've got a choice. either say, I really don't want to do this, but I don't want to hurt their feelings. Or you can say, you know what? Come back next week on Friday night and we'll fellowship all night long. Or... Maybe you both have Fridays off. Say, come back on Thursday night next week. And we'll fellowship all night long. Because tomorrow's the one morning of the week I can get up. I can go to the house of God. I get out of the anointing to God. I'm going to get answers tomorrow. But if I fellowship with you tonight, I won't be able to get up tomorrow. If I don't get up tomorrow, I'm going to hate myself all week. Amen. 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 And so what I'm telling you is this about these choices. We sometimes have to know that how many know fellowship is good, and it is right, but there's a time for it. And Saturday night late is not the time to fellowship to miss church, because this is the main thing. That's a byproduct. Somebody said, man, I never saw a pastor like this before. I never did either. Man, sometimes I get up, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. But I know this as a pastor, I'm not just a Bible teacher. I'm a pastor. A pastor is supposed to lead the sheep to green grass and still waters. Amen. So there's choices you have to make some. anyway, you have to have those quiet times of prayer. And so in these quiet times of being in God's presence, in these quiet times of being in God's presence, you will know in your heart God's specific personal plan for your life. In those times of getting quiet in God's presence, you know God's personal plan for your life. This is how you know with confidence where to go to church. You don't choose a church because Grandma went there. You don't choose a church because your friends go there. You don't choose a church because it's close. You choose a church because God put it in your heart. That's your church. Amen. That's how you choose your church. When you get in God's presence, if you're a young person or even older, you're going to know where to go to school. There's lots of choices on college, lots of choices on all kinds of trade schools and everything else. When you get in the presence of God, you're going to be tormented. You're going to know. And, you know, let me throw something else at you, too. How many here know Philippians 4 19 says, My God shall supply all your needs? According to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How many believe that's in the Bible? Okay, something I learned years ago from Dr. Lester Sumrall. Matter of fact, down in Houston, Texas in April 1981. I'll never forget. I was at a pastor's conference in 1981. That's been a few years ago, hadn't it? <laughs> but anyway, I heard him say this. It's always stuck with me. If there's something that's been given you as an opportunity to do something, go someplace, or place do something, the first thing you don't pray about or say, is I can't afford it. The first thing you do is say, God, do you want me to do it? Whether it's the school you want to go to, the neighborhood you want to move to, or whatever it is, the first thing you've got to find out, number one, is get the presence of God and find out, Lord, is this your plan? If it's the plan of God, go you to know, that school it's going to cost you a little bit more. If it's the plan of God, God's got a little bit more. God's got a whole lot more. God supply all of your need according to His riches of glory by Christ Jesus. You're not going to know what school to go to till you get the presence of God. There's decisions in your life that's going to turn into shipwreck or going to turn into blessing based upon what you choose to do about praying. And, you know, I, I, I know we've got a lot of military people, too, transferred, moved around, things going all the time. Military people have choices. And I've got I've got my family's loaded sons, daughters in the military now. And I know they all come to choice all the time. I've got one daughter that her husband just transferred from the, the big Fort Drum in New York down to Atlanta. Down there. And it took a lot of prayer to do that. But the thing is, in these decisions we make, we need to find out what is the plan of God. And he said, when you seek me. When you seek me with all your heart, he said, you'll find me and I'll turn your captivity. And so the money part for everything in life, we don't make decisions based upon money. We make decisions based upon the plan of God, because when you follow the plan of God, money always shows up. When you plan to follow the plan, money always shows up. Back in 2004, at 2005... I knew a certain family back in Martinsville, Indiana, was seeking God about the next phase of ministry. And believe it or not, from the middle of Hillbilly County in Martinsville, Indiana, the Lord had that family pack up and move to the desert in Barstow, California. To a church on large property with multiple buildings with a lot of debt, but God had that family pack up because they got quiet before him. That moved 2,000 miles. Put everything in a pisky moving truck. had moved to California. And you know what followed? When they followed the plan of God, you know what followed? People hooked up. Money came in. And things happened. Because it was the plan of God. But that's what happens when you get in the presence of God. You begin to see something. And then... Friends and family tell you, like friends and family and fellow preachers told that family, what are you doing that for? California? What are you going to California for? Because Jesus is my master. Had Jesus put it in my heart. and I watched the Beverly Hill Boys when I was a kid. Had I heard, California's the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck. And they moved to Barstow. <laughs> Amen. If I ever hear the song. Amen. So what am I saying? I'm saying when you get in the presence of God, you begin to see things with the eyes of your spirit. Your head doesn't see it. Your mind doesn't know it. Well, what are we talking about today? We're talking about knowing and following God's plan to turn your captivity captivity so you'll have peace he said my plans are to give you a future and a hope to prosper you and not to harm you to turn your captivity praise god we followed jesus from indiana to california doing better than we've ever done our whole lives out to california well who did you know in california i knew jesus i didn't know anybody else not one single person did we know we knew jesus and we got to California, we found out that Jesus already knew who was in California. As so Jesus brought people together that he knew that believed in what God put in us and we come together and changed lots of lives in California following the plan of God. Well, well, amen. Well, well, I bet you you had it all scouted out real good and you already knew exactly what he's going to do. I didn't even know what the, my paycheck was going to be until I'd been here two weeks. I didn't even have a house. We was about halfway to California Moving a truck. Got a call from the people out here at the church that we hooked up with on the internet and talked to. And they said, hey, we found your house. Think you're going to like it? And it was on our cell phone coming up the road. Said, yeah, I know we're going to like it. And they got other calls, Said, hey, we got utilities. Sir. You want your phone number? I said, yeah, if will would like to know my phone number. Got our phone number. And et cetera, et cetera. So the whole thing was, is this. We... Took time to get quiet and listen to Jesus, and He put it in our hearts California is where you need to be. We knew that in our hearts. Did you hear a voice? Not one single time. All the voices I ever heard is the devil tried to hit my head about stupid, stupid, dumb, dumb, stupid, dumb, stupid, dumb, idiot, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? But I got quiet. My wife got quiet, we shut off the outside noises. And yeah, we both knew in our heart, California is where God wants us to be. So we come to California, and that's where our future is. That's where our hope is. My wife and I have eight, eight children. And lots of grandchildren, about 14 now. 14, I got it right this time. I did not have to stand corrected. I got it right. We have 14. And so in our children, one by one, our adult children and their families have been relocated to California Not because they're following dad and mom, because dad and mom raised them to follow Jesus. And Jesus sent them to be a part of what we're doing here, not following us, but following Jesus. I don't want any of my kids to follow me, just to follow me. I want them to follow Jesus and the plan he has for their life. So that's what he's done. Sometimes people say things like, well, man, how'd you get your kids to move here? We didn't get our kids to move here. We just prayed. We said, Jesus, we want to thank you to follow your plan. Well, how you get your kids to get in the military? How you get your kids to stay out of the military? We don't get them to get in or get out. We teach them to follow the plan of God for their life to be in the military or not be in the military. Well, how you get them to go to school? We pray and we teach them how to follow the plan of God to go to college, not go to college. We let God show them what to do to follow the plan of God for their lives. I'm doing better preaching than you are shouting. Amen. And so in those quiet times, you're going to know who to marry. Or who not to marry. It got real quiet. Oh, boy. <laughs> Man, sometimes I gotta say things, so I gotta say things. I wanna help you. When I said that about you gotta know who to marry, who not to marry, I just immediately see modern times. Well, my family, they don't marry, we just live together. Well, your family's not the blessing of God then. The Bible talks about husbands and wives not living togethers. Somebody said, well, my family, that's all they've ever done. Well, in my family, we had bootleggers and thugs and bad guys. Well, I got born again on January 29th, 1980. And I found out Jesus was real. I said, Lord, the buck stops here. The curse over the Samples family is done. It's over with. I said, My family's going in a different direction now. We're changing the flow of the curse on the Samples family. And so I started a different direction. And because of the direction I started, I led my mother to the Lord before she died. She's in heaven now. My mom was a pure heathen her whole life. I led my dad to the Lord. He was heathen his whole life. My dad's in heaven i led my brother to the Lord. He was a real heathen his whole life. My brother's in heaven now. If I had not made that decision that I'm going to go a different direction in my life, that my family still be where it was, you would see these guys sitting in this front where these kids right here. They'd be on a different road. So I decided, although the Samples family always did it this way, the Samples family wasn't right. They taught me wrong. They led me wrong. They brought me up wrong. And so I made the choice, when I found out Jesus was real, the curse over this family is broken. We're going a different direction than we did. Amen. And so, I want to say that again, and not feel that little resistance in the spirit. I felt when I said it the first time. God will show you who to marry. He'll show you who not to marry. I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot better not to marry him. If it was the wrong one, then to go through the hell of having to pay the child back and forth game and all that stuff for the next 20 years. Amen. It's a, whole lot, it's a whole lot cheaper on you in life to marry the right one the first time and not go down that road have to go into that legal business. Oh, boy. Okay, that's enough. Oh, somebody needs to hear that for sure. Okay. In those quiet times, he'll show you how to raise your children. And what I mean by that, well, I know that my wife and I raised our children how we wanted to. We were homeschooled, Christian schooled, and public schooled, all three in the phases of our kids' lives. I know today, with all the daughters I've got, the daughter-in-laws I've got, and the grandbabies, I hear all these blessed people talking all the time, and talk with other people all the time, and Everybody, it seems, has a different theory or way how they think you ought to raise kids. I mean, you know, I think about all the... I'm not getting to all of it. But anyway, all the different thoughts people have about what they ought to be doing with their kids. Jesus knows the number of every hair on your little baby's head. Psalms 139, he said, I've got every day of their life planned out before they're even born. And you know what? As a dad and a mom, it's not up to you to run to everybody else to see what, because it's not one size fits all. The Bible, I'll say it again, is a general plan for all mankind. But God has a personal plan for every life. And as parents, it's okay. We got this, what do they call that group? We got the young moms and nursing mothers. What's it called? Young wives and moms. Young wives and moms. Well, young guys and moms can get together and get ideas, yeah, just like mechanics. You know, if we got any mechanics in here, any, we got the Jonah mechanic, and we got the Dale mechanic. Any more mechanics in here that know stuff about working on vehicles? Well, you know what I found out about all mechanics? They all have a different way they're going to do something. Every one of them is going to convince you their way is the best way for working on that product, working on that car. Putting that part in or out. They all confess their way is the best way. And some of them get mad at each other because they don't do it their way. But their way is the best way for them. Because it works for them. There's a best way to raise kids for you. And their way might be best for them. But their way might turn your kids off and run the other way. And so you have got to take time to get in the presence of God. To find out God's way for you and your son and out of out of having eight kids, I can tell you this: some kids are a piece of cake. Some kids are a work in progress. Amen. And so it's not one size fits all. My first daughter was born in 1970. My first daughter called me this week on the telephone up in Alaska, as she lives in Florida. And she said, Daddy, she said, Daddy, she's born in 1970. She said, Daddy, I need some fatherly advice. And so she had a major decision going on in her life, something she's wanted all of her life to do. Well, she invested lots of money, lots of time to take this career path at this point in time. And then she started down this road and found out this year, I really don't want to do this. After all this education time and everything she did, I need some fatherly advice. Amen. It's not one size fits all. And so I just told her, I said, the number one thing you got to do is please Jesus and please you. I said, you found out you can do it. I said, and now you found out it's not really what you want to do after all this time. I said, you're not a failure. I said, you succeeded because you got on the road, but now you don't want to stay on the road. So I said, just tell the people. You're going to change a different direction. I said, you're the one who has to get up and look at you in the mirror. I said, you're the one who has to take care of your family. And so I said, don't worry about what people think. I said, I got over that a long time ago. My life is not led about what people think about decisions I make. I'm going to do my best to make decisions. But when I get up in the morning time... I'm the one that looks in the mirror at me. I'm the one that has to go to sleep at nighttime. If I go to sleep at nighttime and don't have peace about the direction I'm going in life, I can't think, well, what's Susan going to think? I can't think, what's Chuck going to think? think, yes, what's Jesus going to think? I can look Chuck in the eye. I can look Susan in the eye and say, you know what, guys? I've got to make an adjustment because I don't have peace about where I'm going right now. I've got to change this around. And, well, Pastor, he talked about that for five years. I said, yeah, but that's not what we really need to do. We've got to make a change. Something's not right here. We have to do some changes. And so the thing is, when you get in the presence of God, he said, go and seek me and you'll find me. He said, then I'll turn your captivity. Amen. Amen. So you got to be a person of prayer. And then, of course... In says like buying cars, buying houses, major purchases. You've got to get quiet, find out what to do, because you're stepping out there on something. You've got to make sure you make the right choice. And then navigating through crisis of life, you definitely want to get quiet before God. He said, I will turn your captivity. And so God's plan is for you to control what happens in your life. God's plan is for you to control what happens in your life. Not life just jerking you around and being depressed and miserable every day, you know what happens if you're depressed and miserable every day The people you love that you're around they are gonna be depressed and miserable every day amen amen it's 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 like it's like the person you know ask this guys that hey uh, Did you wake up grouchy this morning? said, no, she got up on her own. (laughs) No. No. You've got to realize that if you are depressed and miserable because life's jerking you around and you're not controlling your life, that the people you love are going to start walking away from you. The people you love... We're going to start not taking your calls. You know, I think about these cell phones. I remember when caller ID came out years ago on our regular house phones. You know, you pretty much get by and say hello like you don't know who it is. These cell phones, you don't have to act surprised. You answer your phone anymore. You know who it is. <laughs> that, that's why so many times when you got somebody that's miserable and they're going to call and vomit all over you, you don't take the call. But then if you're a Christian, you have to pray. And you have to say, how can I honestly answer this so I'm not lying why I didn't take the call? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and so and so for you to be the Christian you need to be. Not be a miserable Christian. You need to learn how to control what goes on around your life. And that's what we're talking about. So you learn that in the prayer times. As for this to happen, you must make the quality decision... And follow through with action. To control your life, you've got to make quality decisions, follow through with action. Number one, you've got to develop the church habit. You've got to develop the church habit. Come two or three times every week. Come two or three times every week. Well, grandma never went but once a week. We're not living in grandma's day anymore. You ought to think about my grandma. My grandma was born in 1900, so she for sure wasn't, you know, the modern time. But back in grandma's day, we did not have the problems the world has today. We didn't have the crisis and the things out there that's here today. You need more than grandma's church habit. But she had a good Pentecostal uh, grandma like Mrs. Beardshire. <laughs> Mike's mother-in-law sat up at the front row for probably 30 years. But anyway, you need to develop the church habit. Let me ask you intelligent people a question. When you come to church, do you get depressed or do you get joy? When you come to church, do you get confused or do you get answers? When you come to church, do people put down on you or do they lift you up? Why would you want to come to church more then? Amen. When you come to church, do you get more faith or less faith? Yeah, and so why wouldn't you want to come to church two or three times a week to get more faith, to get built up, to get around people that aren't going to put down on you because they're going to lift you up. And if you got somebody that come to this church they put down on you, then you know you can pray for them because they're just not coming to church enough. Don't get mad at them. I think everybody's like that. Just realize, oh, this poor darling, she doesn't hardly ever come to church, so she has no joy. Just be thinking... You don't know, say, well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, I don't like to go there because everybody puts down any. You. you get one nut, and you think it's everybody? It's one person. And just because one person hasn't got it yet, how to walk in the love of God, don't judge the whole church. What you need to do is love that one person. And next time you see him come at you, next time see come at you, have your mouth already loaded, locked and ready to fire. Oh, hi. Mike, I love you. Praise God. It's still good to see you. How's everything going? And if griping starts coming out, I say, oh, glory to God. Jesus is good. And then griping starts to come out, I say, hallelujah, let's go in there and get blessed. Amen. You know, it's just out and talk By the way, Mike's one of the best guys in the whole church. <laughs> He's an easy target sometimes. Okay. And so anyway, develop the church habit and meditate in the word. Study your Bible as much as possible. Study your Bible as much as possible. Simply uh, uh, just a Bible study that you do on your own, anything you want to do. But get in the Bible habit and then become a person of prayer, not just asking simply all day. Listen to this all day, every day. Talk with Jesus like you would your best friend. Talk with Jesus Like you would your best best friend. Jesus has all the answers for every, for every question you have. Jesus has a solution to every problem you face, no matter how big or how small. I was a truck driver, you know, a lot of you may not know this. I drove big rigs for 28 years. 28 years I, I drove big rigs. And a lot of times I drove around downtown Indianapolis. Downtown Indianapolis, like any other downtown, most downtowns were created back in the early 1900s. And so the streets and alleys where you make deliveries to those places are little wide things that were made for horse and buggies or little old vehicles. And big trucks are different. But I remember downtown Indianapolis when I used to have to drive big trucks in those little alleys to deliver those fancy hotels people stay at and eat at. And all the fancy gathering places they have at places now. Well, I drove up alleys. That had places built in the early 1900s, and they had so many obstacles, I had to have Jesus show me how to do things that are nearly impossible to do. I would come up alleys, and I don't know if California has these like Indianapolis, we had these fire escapes, these black things in these buildings downtown. Well, those things were made when trucks were about as tall as I am. Now trucks are giant trucks. So if you come up those alleys, you got those fire escapes on one side, on one side, you had to learn how to weave in and out of those things about hitting those fire escapes at the top of your truck and breaking them off. And then while you're doing that, these places were made for little bitty old trucks way back in the 1930s, 1940s. Little short things to back up these people's places. And you got cases and cases of canned goods and paper goods to go to these places there. You look back at your truck, and your truck's longer than the whole block. And you're coming up that alley you got to find places to practically make those trucks bend in the middle to get to where they need to be to do stuff. That's like up there. Oh, Jesus, look at this. It didn't catch Jesus by surprise. He knew that stuff was there. Jesus, how are we going to do this? And I would always see ways to do things that I had to do because I was a covenant man of God and covenant with God. I was a tither. I served God. I needed my paycheck to have a tithe to pay. Take care of my family. And so Jesus wasn't just something I did that morning when I, when I looked at the Bible, but I said, Lord, thank you for blessing this day. Amen. Or at night time, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Jesus was somebody that I talked to every day, all day long. Jesus knew everything. And you know what? In, tra- in transforming from a Christian that drove a truck, To a Christian that's a preacher, that followed me right into the church. Where there's problems in the church. Jesus, what are we going to do about this? Jesus, how can I help this person? Jesus, you know they're coming in today at 2 o'clock and they say their marriage is about over, Jesus. What am I going to do? Jesus, they've got this serious medical diagnosis now with their son. What am I going to tell them, Jesus? How am I going to help them? And the thing is, if you develop... That kind of prayer life where you can talk to Jesus about everything, every day, all day long, just as if he's your best friend, they he will be your best friend. And everywhere you go, all the time, no matter what you're facing, you have to know this, it never, ever, ever took him by surprise to where you talk to him and say, Jesus, I need help with this. You know what he's never going to say? Well, I need a lot of help now. Have you looked at the news lately? You know, what's so amazing to me about Jesus, about God, everybody in the whole world right now, he's listening to. Every person in a Muslim country, like over in India with the Hindus and all the different things over there, right here in America, in Indiana, in California, in Alaska, in Florida, on the East Coast, wherever you are, wherever you are, Jesus right now, and you can never figure this out in a hundred million years of your head. Jesus could answer every little prayer, major and minor, no matter who it is, because he's the one that's awesome. He knows it all. Give the Lord a hand. Look at John chapter 10, verse 10. Does this help anybody to see about the plan of God? That's what we want to do. We want to know the plan and then follow the plan. And knowing the plan of God, here's what Jesus said about life. And you've got to know this. This answers a question for a lot of people. John ten ten, Jesus said, the thief cometh not before to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. For you're the blanks right there. You've got to know this. Every bad, evil thing in your life comes because Satan is just as real as Jesus is. Satan wants to cause terrible things to happen in your life. Satan's the one that come to steal, to kill, to destroy. Satan does not want you to have a good family. Satan does not want you to have a good job. Satan doesn't want you to have a good car or a good house. Satan doesn't want you to have enough money to buy the food you need. He doesn't want you to have anything good in life at all. And this is, this is the thing that Christians have got to get a hold of. Christians have got to know this. They blame too many things on God. God is not the thief. God's not the one causing your problems. Jesus said the thief is the one that comes to break up your home. The thief's the one that comes to try to get your children addicted on things. The thief's the one that comes to get you laid off and steal your job. You have to know this. To be able to get a hold of the plan of God. But Jesus said this in the second half of the verse. I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The Amplified Bible says that really well. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Jesus is the plan of God. He said, I came for you, David Samples and Katie, to have and enjoy life. In abundance to the full till it overflows. You think less than that is the thief. Amen. John 18 Mumford, Jesus came for you to have and enjoy life. In abundance to the full till it overflows. You think less than that is the thief. This is in result of God's good plan for your life. Look at 3 John verse 2. We're coming in the home stretch. And, you know, I'll say for new people in here this morning, or anybody else, listen to the Word of God. He'll give you hope. He'll shine light on your future. He'll show you that it's not over. He'll show you that you're just to a place of new beginnings. I want to say that again. If right now it looks like things in your life are all over, this morning God's taking you to a place of new beginnings. You're beginning to see what to do now to get it turned around. Third John 2, he says this, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers, even as thy soul prospers. And so that means that a healthy spiritual life is the main key to God's good plan coming to pass in your life. Even as your soul prospers, even as—in other words—equal to your spiritual life will be the quality of your natural life. Your prosperity and health will depend upon what you do for your spiritual life. I like to say it this way: the spiritual always determines the natural, good or bad. The spiritual always determines the natural, good or bad. I want to talk to the yo-yo Christians now. The ro- roller coaster Christians. The ones that are up and down and in and out. You don't have to raise your hand. But for all of us, have you ever noticed that your serious times in church and hanging around Christians, reading the Bible and things, how much better life gets? And then the times that you back off, to where you don't go like you once did. You don't study the Bible like you once did. You don't hang around Christians like you used to. How, what's the modern expression, life sucks? Isn't that what they say now? You say, life stinks. Reason being, your spiritual life stinks. He said, even as your soul prospers. So as your spiritual life gets turned up, To where you're coming to church more, reading your Bible more, hanging around with other Christians more. All of a sudden, the money problem seems to go away. The health problems seem to take a back seat and health begins to come back to your life. Your marriage, your relationships, things begin to change. Because you notice you said, even as. Even as is really, it's, 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 it's an accounting term. It means equal to or according to. It's like reconciling a checkbook, which I know that most people don't do anymore. But in reconciling a checkbook, you look at your bank statement or look at it online, and you should keep a ledger in your computer or I still do the hand stuff. But you look at that, and what you have there should be equal to what they say you have there. If they equal, that means you're in agreement. If they're in agreement, things work right. Well, it says even asked. so when you're in agreement with God, that your health and your finances line up. One more scripture to look at, and we're done. Second Timothy two fifteen. Now this guy sure looks at a lot of verses. Actually, only had four passages, but you know what? I have never seen anybody overdose on the Bible. Amen. Amen. You get addicted to the word of God, that's a good addiction. Second Timothy 2.15 says this, study to show thyself approved unto God. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A work that is not to be ashamed, rightly dividing are rightly interpreting the word of truth. And so I want to throw this in now as my last exhortation to you. God says to study, to know more. So if you don't know how to study your Bible yet, let me help you. Listen to this. This is just some good basic study habits to develop. When you come to church, services, or even in small groups, bring your Bible. Always bring your Bible. A notebook has something to write with. Bring a notebook, something to write with, and write down the verses you hear. Listen to this. this. This is going to help you in closing in following the plan of God for your life. Write down the verses you hear and listen to this. Anything said that gets your attention, write it down. Any statement I made today that got your attention, you need to write it down. And by the way, you can hear us on the Internet tomorrow. This sermon will be on the Internet tomorrow. But write it down. And when you get home, sometime soon, real soon, while still fresh on your mind, open your notebook, open your Bible, and look up the verses that you heard today that you liked, that spoke to you. Write them down on three by five cards or a piece of paper. Several times a day, for several days, look at the cards of paper and read the verse out loud. Let that verse get in your mind. Let that verse get your thinking. Get it in your heart. And then follow our scripture reading. We do anything you want to do to study the Bible. Help. But we have a scripture reading we do on the, on the Internet every month. I put up I, I personally pick out verses every month. And then follow our daily Bible study. And then you're going to see a change in your attitude. You're going to begin to know the plan of God for your life. Just those simple little tips will help you so much. When you leave church, don't let church leave you. When you leave church, look at your notes, things that helped you. Go back in the Bible, look at them again, write them down, start speaking them out loud, pray them into your life, and then you're going to know and be able to follow the plan of God for your life. Amen, amen. Let's stand up and give the Lord a hand. Thank you for listening to this podcast.